Well, good morning. Good to see each of you. That chorus always reminds me of the context in Scripture, where according to many people's standards today, Jesus would have been considered a failure in ministry. And why would he have been considered a failure? It's because he preached a sermon when large crowds gathered unto him and everyone turned away and stopped following him. Why? Because he told them the truth. It's a very difficult sermon. He even looks to his disciples and he says, will you also turn away? And the chorus that we just sang were were Peter's words. Lord, to whom else shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. See, sometimes the words of eternal life are difficult. It is a narrow road. And of course, we know our Lord was not a failure. He was perfect. He succeeded. He purchased for us our redemption by the very sermon that He preached that you have to internalize and consume Him. He's the bread of life. He gives life, and there's plenty for all. I hope you know that this morning. Well, I want to publicly praise the Lord for His gift to me of a godly wife. Yesterday was our 22nd anniversary, and um, she should be commended. 22 years with me. You have no idea. Um, People have received trophies for lesser things. This isn't a mere participation award, uh, but I do praise God for showing His grace to me through my wife and for the joy that we continue to have. That also means our children are getting older. And of course, uh, you out here will come to another great landmark and we rejoice with you in that. Here's what I'd like to do this morning as we jump into a new series. First, we're going to read Psalm 1 together. I'll read it. You'll listen. We're going to read it three different times through three different translations. Because I want the text to embed itself into our heart. Secondly, I'm going to quickly explain sort of where this sermon series is going over the next eight weeks, Lord willing, and why this series matters. And then third, we're going to explore the meaning of Psalm 1 as it is the gateway into the entire Old Testament hymn book. And then fourth, I want to try to lead us to where Psalm 1 leads us. And that is ultimately to Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to stand uh, while I read. I think we sat for the last two hymns, so I'll go ahead and have you stand if you want to. Most of you did not come with three different translations this morning, so we're providing that on the screens above. Uh, The first one from the King James Version. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drieth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. 
from the New International Version, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, nor, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And then from the New Living Translation. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. You may be seated. I hope at that point, after we read it three times, and now as we work through it through the English Standard Version, that the the, the words of Psalm 1 are pressed in on us. You know, it really does help answer the question, what's this life for? It's really the importance of going through some of our psalms. Psalms are songs. It's the Old Testament hymn book. This is the the grand gateway into inspired worship praises. That's what psalms means, praises. Question in people's minds after we've just come through another week of violence, another week of hate, another week where people want to pitch sides, the us and the them. South Sudan is now back in war as of this morning. I mean, what is this life for? Does it even matter? And it does matter. Human life does matter because God created us in His image. And human life matters as we live before our Creator. It matters to Him what choices we make. It matters to Him how we worship. Matter of fact, that's one of the great gifts of the Psalms is it's, it's a description and a prescription of exactly what true worship looks like in form, in emotive responses. When we read the Psalms, we are meant to learn things about God, about human nature, about how to respond in suffering and how to express joy. That's what the Psalms do. They instruct us along those lines. Psalm 1 and 2, and some believe these go together because Psalm 1 starts with, Blessed is the man, 
And then Psalm 2 ends with, Blessed are all those. Psalm 1 and 2 form a great gateway into the Old Testament hymn book. How is life to be lived? This is poetry. Why do you read poetry? Sometimes poetry doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, I'm not just talking roses are red, violets are blue. You know, but sometimes you read it and it's real lofty. And then sometimes you'll read something and it strikes a chord in your heart and you read it again. Why do we write poetry? Why do humans write songs? Because there's something about the rhythm and the meter and the tune that carries the realities of our heart. It carries truth through a certain emotive line. Let me give you a sample from the Psalms of the wide spectrum of emotions. Psalm 4, verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Do you know God can do that? I love you, O Lord, my strength. Psalm 18.1 Not just, I believe in you, or I realize you must exist, or I fear your governing hand, but listen to this, I love you. How about this? I am lonely and afflicted. Have you ever felt that? My life is spent with sorrow. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Shame has covered my face. Have you ever been shamed? Psalms has an answer for how to turn to God through that. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. And then for God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. This is what worship looks like. This is what God's Word does when it shapes life. According to Psalm 150, sometimes there is dancing. And according to Psalm 25 and Psalm 62, there is silence. See, this covers all of life. Psalm 1 sings of this. And that's what we're going to use the term. We're going, to, we're going to say, let the music begin because this is a hymn. This is a song. Psalm 1 sings of the truth of two choices. And there are only two choices. Psalm 1 does not leave a third. There are two choices. Psalm 2 sings of the cosmic confrontation of those choices. I mean, really what's going on in the world, above the clouds, what is going on as we down here make those two choices? So turn with me to Psalm 1. It divides very neatly. Three verses, the righteous person. Then three verses, the ungodly person. Let's read verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. My, that is a negative song right from the beginning, isn't it? Except for one word. Which word? Blessed. 
And that word doesn't really translate in our, in our culture, right, because of its abuse. For instance, a lady criticizes another lady, and then to soften the gossip, they say, bless her dear soul. Really? Is that what bless means? You know, or you post a picture of your family vacation, and you do hashtag what? Blessed. And actually, you're starting to capture some of the meaning of blessed, because there is a type of happiness and a joy. But what do we even mean when we use the word blessed? That's the first word of the first psalm. It is a deep-seated joy. It is a happiness not bound to circumstances or other people. It is a Joy and a contentment found in a source that is stable. It's interesting, the psalmist doesn't just say, don't sin, don't hang out with those kind of people. I mean, he gets to that pretty quickly, right? Blessed is the man who doesn't. Very negative. No, this is a, this, this is a song that is simple for us to understand. Blessed or Oh, the joys. Here's the contrast he's trying to make. He's not just trying to make the contrast between really good people and really bad people. Here, as you walk through the gateway of the Old Testament hymn book, here's the contrast he is making. The contrast he wants to draw is a life influenced from one place by God or life influenced by another place, human beings. Heaven or the world. And the blessed person, the one who has joy and a deep-seated contentment that is stable, finds his joy, he is blessed, she is blessed, as they live a life according to God's ways and words. And you can see this in our country. You can see exactly what Psalm 1 warns about. And this vortex and this momentum is pulling people away as human beings sell their ideologies, as they have pawned off the cheap wares that truth is relative. And so you have millions of unborn babies killed. You have a Supreme Court decision that turns us towards the ways of the world. That's the counsel of the wicked. And now you have strife and animosity and a seeming increased racial tension. And can we at least accept the fact that the world in which we live is not blessed right now? Because they have forsaken something. And it's something very simple. It's something communicated way back in the Old Testament in Psalm 1 through a song. And this is the song Oh, the joys of someone who avoids that way of thinking. The very first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? And, and the response, the answer is beautiful and simple. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to what? And to enjoy Him forever. Blessed is the one who enjoys God through His Word. 
Surprisingly, again, the psalm begins by the disassociation. Notice what the blessed person does not do. Look at verse 1. He walks not, nor stands, nor sits. And some people have seen a, like a, a gradual degradation, you know, if you begin you know, walking and then you stop and now you're standing, and once you stand you sit. Perhaps there's something there, but it seems as though the psalmist in this poetry, in this psalm, is using a parallelism to simply state that their entire way, the entire way against God is corrosive and corrupt. All of it. Their way of walking, their way of living, their way of sitting, avoid it. It's entirely corrosive. And the blessed one, the blessed man, the one who says, oh, the joys, oh, the delight, oh, the, oh, the contentment that is found in God through His Word. Now, does it always seem this way? Does it always seem like the wicked are miserable? Or does it seem at times that they prosper? And doesn't the psalmist address that too? In Psalm 73, My feet had almost slipped when I became arrogant of the wicked, for they seem to prosper. Even when they go down to death, they seem fat and happy. Right? That's one of the paradoxes. But we have to understand that even their shallow delights, because they delight in something too, their shallow delights are temporal and misplaced. And the psalmist sort of recalibrates his thinking when he goes back to the house of the Lord. He really returns to Psalm 1 where he aligns his ways with God's Word and he remembers, oh, that's right. It's not all about this world right now. But blessed is the man who avoids that. And note the contrast, verse 2. Blessed is the man or the person who, who doesn't follow that line of thinking, but, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. You know, nobody walks in the counsel of the wicked out of duty. Nobody stands in the way of sinners just by compulsion alone. Nobody sits with the scoffer simply because they have to. No, people hang out with those types of people because they have in their own way meditated and discerned a type of delight and so they make a choice to follow it. There's something attractive and delightful about it. It's kind of the same concept except the object is wrong. But notice what the blessed person, the joyful person does. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And delight does not simply mean comply with the law. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's a command about that. Hey, you wanna, yeah, but uh, God says no. That doesn't sound like delight. I mean, sometimes that's our experience. But what does delight communicate? John Piper said, the battle to avoid the counsel of the wicked in the way of the sinner and the seat of the scoffer, the battle to be righteous and holy and humble is a fight that is won by delight. So it's not just, have you read God's Word? Are you delighting in God through His Word? Is there a personal rejoicing in the God who has given those words? 
is there a close, intimate communion and fellowship through the very words of God so that it's a very real relationship? It's not just hollow religion, but there's a real communion with this one who has given to us his words. And when you walk that path, you know what word describes you? Oh, the joys, the delight of that person. The law is Torah. It means more than just commands. It actually means all of instruction. And the activity that this blessed person is doing, verse 2, is he's meditating. He's reflecting. It's not just reading for 10 minutes in the morning, though it may include that. Checking off you know, Bible time, morning devotions. It is in every walk, in every standing, in every sitting You are contemplating and meditating on and applying the truths of God's Word. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. This is not rote obedience. I love Jesus, so I'm going to obey His commands. No, He is offering you a closeness to Himself through the Word. Oh, the joys of friendship with the Son of God. Oh, the delight of watching His ways and obeying His words as He says, I no longer call you servants, but what? Friends. I mean, this is going to sound odd, but do you enjoy friendship with Jesus? Do you experience that? Because there's a lot of religion that does not offer that. It offers a solve to your guilt. It offers human problems through mechanisms. But rarely do you see the deep joys, the multitude of blessings by being close to God through meditation on His Word, which leads to His Son. And notice, look at the metaphor He uses. Look at verse 3. This person, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now some believe this isn't a wild tree at all that is out in the wilderness, but it's actually planted either deliberately by a stream or it's by a, the word for water and streams here can actually refer to an artificial uh, duct where they would actually feed the appropriate amount of water so it flourishes to its heights and it is the most fruitful it can possibly be. The tree is interesting uh, as it's used in Scripture and a healthy tree is often used as a metaphor of a blessed life of the godly person, of the God-centered person. Let me read you what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 to 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's a beautiful picture. A well-cultivated, well-watered tree that, that doesn't have to fear any drought because the waters are coming and sustaining it and nourishing it. Let me ask you this morning. 
Does that metaphor explain your relationship with God? Does this psalm explain the emotion that you have in this relationship? Now, we already looked at psalms. Sometimes there is, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? But even at the same time, even as we sang this morning, though those banks flood by God's design, they will not overflow. Are you like a tree planted by water, healthy, strong, cultivated, delighting in the Word? This is what meditation is. A reflection and deliberate thinking upon the words of God in the course of daily activities. But I want you to notice the abrupt contrast. Look at verse 4. The wicked are not so. Now instead of the tree, what's the metaphor? Chaff. I don't know that it's an accurate translation, but I would call that chaff the little cotton remnants from my neighbor's cottonwood tree that sticks on my screens. Very irritating. And then, but once you get it off the screen, it blows away no more. Right? How many of you have cottonwood neighbors? Right? And you see all these little white things coming in, and they stick to your screens, and it doesn't matter how often you clean the screens, uh, and it seems like those are always in bloom. You know, just blowing the cotton around. And chaff, light, hollow, aimless, annoying. Nobody makes cottonwood pies. You don't eat that stuff, right? This is chaff. It's the stuff that you throw up into the air after you have the actual meat or fruit. And you throw it up in the air and the wind drives it away. Aimless, useless, rootless, fruitless. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. How would you even explain that? Because he's talking about a person. Just like when he talks about a healthy, well-cultivated tree, he's talking about a type of person. And now when he talks about chaff, he's talking about a person. He's talking about a way of life. It, it does not matter how much money you have in your bank account or your 401k, you can still be chaff, hollow, aimless, rootless, fruitless. And you can feel that inside. Not so the wicked. Not so the one who follows the path of this world. Not so the one who is wordless. But the one who is worldly is like the chaff. It's interesting. The psalmist actually gives a fuller portrayal to the healthy tree than to the description of the chaff. He simply says, the wind drives it away. So here's what I want us to, to really get this morning. Psalm 1 is a song and it sings this tune. You have a choice to make. And that choice will have benefit now. But ultimately, that choice will echo in eternity. 
that choice will have repercussions forever. And if you're chaff, if you're if you're described as the wicked, the godless, the wind will come and blow you away. It mirrors the influence and existence of each, the tree and the chaff. Here is the sure destination of the second. Look at verse five. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. And it seems to be what's in view here is the full judicial plan of God. Folks, we must not remember that God is a judge. God's judgment will strike the wicked so that they are incapable of rising. And this is very serious as we live in a world that wants us to walk with them and stand with them and sit with them and adopt their ideologies. But you have to remember there is a God, a creator God, who is a judge. And when he strikes the wicked, they will be incapable of rising. The wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And that's a collective term for the people of God. It's where we should desire to be, not on the outside. Here's the grand reality. Look at verse 6. For the Lord knows. He watches over. He's closely inclined towards. He's discerning. He sees. He's not very far from any one of us, Paul says. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. You're going, what? That's quite a song. Do we sing anything like that? I'm not even sure what kind of tone you would put to this psalm. I mean, you've got joy, blessed, oh, the joys of those who don't, that's your warning, but oh, the joys of those who do, delight, but not just delight in anything, they delight in the instruction of God. This is why Jesus prayed in John 17, 17 to the Father, sanctify them through your truth, your word is truth. We talk about being people of the Word. People of the Word are blessed. It's interesting. Throughout Psalm 1, righteous and wicked are plurals. Both present a present experience and our future, depend, our future destiny. And it depends on which company, in a sense, we choose. The company of the righteous or the company of the wicked. The future belongs, the grand future, the blessed future belongs to the godly even when the wicked are enjoying temporary power and prestige. We can't forget that as the people of God. Jesus said this. These are those who reject God's promises, who reject God's word, who reject God's son, They will come under the judgment of Jesus' words when he says this, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
But Lord, we've, we've cast out demons in your name. We've done many wonderful works. We've been very religious. I never knew you. So we're not talking about religion. We're talking about relationship. And when you know Him, oh, the joys of delighting in His words, not just in His words, but in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know the Word? Do you delight in the Word? Because the Word, Jesus Christ, is not impressed with religion. He saves some of His harshest words for religionists. But we've done all these things. I never knew you. Jesus then teaches at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. Now most of us, I mean if we've been brought up in a church, sometimes our minds automatically go to another song, right? The wise man built right? Cute children's song. This is a disturbing closing to a sermon. And I'm talking about Jesus' sermon, not mine. He is talking about the final future of two companies of people. If you go back to the Psalms, it, it's, it's the plural, blessed, oh, the joys of those, but not so the wicked. No joy, lasting joys there. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. Can you feel the judgment? And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. Now I want you to listen to this. This is Jesus' conclusion. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. Why great? Because it's not going to rise up again. When God's justice comes down and strikes the wicked, they are incapable of rising up. The house is done. This is what Saul makes very clear. There are only two ways. Jesus said this. There is a narrow path which leads unto life, and there is a broad road that leads where? To destruction. See, we're interpreting Scripture with Scripture. See, not so the wicked, but they are like the chaff which the wind blows away. They will not stand in the judgment. They are done. This house was built on sand, and when the storms of judgment came, it fell, and Jesus said, great was the fall of it. But we've been... Re I never knew you. It's not just the words. It's the Word, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes unto the Father except 
through him. It is a narrow gate, folks. But the broad road option, that leads to destruction. Psalm 1 demands a response. What will you delight in? What will shape your life? What will you live for? Do you have the joys and the overflowing blessedness of looking to God and hearing His Word and knowing His Son? Oh, blessed is that person. Or do you have the hollowness of chaff, even though you're getting everything you want in the world? You're aimless. You're fruitless. Like Psalm 1, Jesus came preaching in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is good news. This is good news for those who are on the road to destruction. The good news, he says, is the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Turn. Turn off the broad road and believe in me. When you choose the way of God, it evidences itself in submission to divine revelation. If you think about that, that the water analogy, it comes up again in John 4, not in the same way, but very helpful to us. Of course, Jesus tells his disciples we must needs go through Samaria. That didn't make sense uh, to the radically Jewish disciples at this point in the ministry. But Jesus knew there was someone there whom he had to tell the good news to. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Of course, in God's perfect, loving or- orchestra, He sends the disciples away. He's sitting there on the well in the middle of the day. We probably know why she's coming down to avoid the other ladies in the cool of the morning. She comes down alone and there's this Jewish rabbi sitting on the well. And Jesus says to her, oh, I love how, how Jesus always initiates. He says to her, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? See, she knew the racial tension. It's been very difficult to cross over these fences we make. Jewish rabbi, lives matter. Samaritan lives matter. Jesus goes right in, right through those racial boundaries, and he sits on a well. He initiates the conversation. She brings up the racial tension. And she says, how can you as a Jew ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Parenthetical statement, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her. Look look at how he leads the conversation. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, right? She's still thinking very physical. How are you going to get the water out? I'm not going to ask you for a drink. You don't have anything to draw the water out with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? I love this interchange of just a real person with the real Son of God. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, yes, he is, but she's still going to learn that. 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. I mean, what a grand religious heritage, right? I mean, are you greater than Jacob? Well, she's going to find out he is. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I love her response. Right? All these, the racial distinctions set aside. She says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. But now listen, or have to come to this well to draw water. Right? There's still a process where Jesus is kindly and graciously uh, in, in grace and in truth, leading her to know himself. Right? He is the living water. Can I ask you if that's your delight this morning? Jesus Christ plus nothing. As he sits there and offers the fact that he is living water and if he gives it to you you'll never be thirsty again you'll be like a tree purposely planted by the rivers of water you'll be strong your leaves will not wither in whatever you do you will prosper but the ungodly are not like that The source is found in Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news because He saves us from our sins and gives to us His Holy Spirit springing up within us, leading us to eternal life. Is that your song this morning? Because that's what Psalm 1 puts forward. Two choices. Two lives. Two very different destinies. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior King for the forgiveness of your sin? And are you delighting in Him through His words? You are my friends if you do whatsoever I have commanded you. Are you delighting in Him? Is there a very real relationship that is conspicuous in your life? Do you wake up? Do you go to sleep? Letting His words and that relationship of walking and talking with Him shape your life. Or are you over here hollow, like chaff, walking with sinners, living life with them, being blown towards a very sure and real and empty eternity. Let's pray. With your head bowed, I'm just going to read one more time the psalm, and then I'm going to pray. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Oh, the joys of those who delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season, their lives Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. 
For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. And our prayer for you as pastors is that you know the joys of delighting in God and His Son and meditating on His words and through the Word, the Son of God, and rejoicing in this Gospel and allowing every thought and action to be shaped by His words through a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ because the joys are endless for those who have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What joy in the forgiveness of sin. You say, how do I drink this water? Believe. By grace, you are saved through faith. Believe. The Samaritan woman did. Believe.